All right, Exodus chapter 20. Probably sounds like a familiar passage to many of you. It should. Um, something big is happening there. Okay. Yeah. Ten Commandments up on the mountain. Anyway, we're going to read the. Uh, we're going to go through the first six verses. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol in any form, uh, in, in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am the jealous God punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay. So i just kind of um, going to go into a little bit more depth from this morning, uh, from this morning's message. And I kind of want to start out with, with a question. Is worship important to God? Does <coughs> God see our worship as important? Yeah. Obviously so. We, we listed, uh, or we, I, I read through several calls to worship um, this morning, but I want us to go through a few more. Here are five pages, front and back, so it's actually ten pages, of calls to worship that we use on, on Sunday, different ones that we use on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to read a few of them. Um, and, and so I've got two on this table, one on this table, but you kind of get the idea. If, you, if you're holding it, you might get asked to, to read some. So um, I'll, I'll read the first one there. And um, I'll give thanks to the Lord. This is from 1 Chronicles 16, verses 8 through 10. I'll give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Here we have uh, the scripture once again calling us to worship and mentioning some of the things that we do in worship. Singing uh, praise to him and telling of his wondrous works. Glorify, glorying in his name. We have two other passages from 1 Chronicles 16, where we see once again uh, calls to worship. Somebody read for us uh, the, the passage here, Psalm uh, 34, 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord, the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boats boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So here once again is David. Um, doing the individual worship. This is what I do. I bless the Lord at all times. His praise is always in my mouth. Um, and then he, he goes on to corporate worship there saying, you people of God, come and magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. A call to corporate worship once again. All right, on the next page. Um, Psalm 47, 1 through 4. Can I get a... Can I get a volunteer? Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, 
the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. Once again, telling us we, we need to worship God. Look at his sovereignty. Because he is sovereign, we need to be worshiping him, right? Um, Psalm 66, 1 through 4. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him a glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Um, Psalm 68, 4 and 5. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is, the God, is God in his holy habitation. That's one that we usually use on Father's Day for a call to worship. Father to the to the fatherless, and therefore he's worthy of a singing praise to his name like this. Uh, again, from Psalm 68, verses 32 through 35. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, in the ancient heavens. Uh, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God, uh, whose majesty is over Israel. And whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Once again calling all of God's people to worship him. Uh, looking at his, uh, his sovereignty over all things. Someone read Psalm 95, 1 through 3. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. God overall is worthy of our praise. And there again, uh, coming to his presence with thanksgiving and songs of praise, making joyful noise. He's the rock of our salvation. And then again from Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Barbara, you did such a good job. Go <laughs> oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Again, worshiping God, calling for corporate worship. Psalm 96, 1 through 6. Someone else. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And again from Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9. you got to finish. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let's see. Once again, um, uh, calling to corporate worship throughout scripture. Psalm 97, 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many uh, coastlands be glad. We are to rejoice in him. Psalm 98, 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of many nations. 
He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Once again, seeing a call to worship because of who he is and what he's done, especially in, in making our, bringing salvation to us. Psalm 98, 4-6, Make joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Uh, make a joyful noise to, before the King, the Lord. Um, and then, uh, of course, Psalm 100, I think we read that this morning. Psalm 103, Blessed be the Lord of... Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your uh, diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We are to come and once again remember the works of the Lord on our behalf, especially in our salvation. He is worthy of worship because of this. Um, we have more from Psalm 103. We've got... Psalm 105, I'll give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek uh, the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Um, we have it from Psalm 107, Psalm 111, Psalm 113. The shortest... Uh, Chapter in all of scripture, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord at all times. Extol him all peoples for great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Um, we have it, uh, Psalm 136, um, Psalm 145, 147, 148, 150. I think we read that this morning. From Isaiah chapter 12. Verses 5 and 6. Uh, someone else. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For great... In. Okay, sorry. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We see it uh, from Zechariah 9.9. Um, this is one we use on Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a, a foal of a donkey? Um, so we see over and over again. And these are just some of the ones. I mean, uh, I, it's, it's, this isn't a complete list of calls to worship. In the Old Testament, what we see God calling his people corporately to come and worship him uh, throughout the Old Testament. We see in the New Testament as well, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, Jesus calling us to come to him. And, uh, and we come and worship Romans uh, 12, 1, which is uh, certainly individual worship, but I think it applies for corporate worship as well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then we often use Revelation uh, chapter 5 as a call to worship because we see this worship going on in heaven. 
and it's what we're to be doing here on earth when the, the uh, uh, heavenly beings come to Jesus and they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So we see just a sampling, and this is quite a sampling, I think, of scripture calling us to worship God, calling us corporately to worship God. And so I think certainly because God has it in there so often, has it in scripture so often, then we see that it certainly is important to him. Isaiah uh, 42, let me look up Isaiah 42, verse 8. 8? Yes, verse 8, Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God's not willing to share his glory with any other, is he? He's the one to get all the glory for creation, for salvation, for uh, who he is. And he's righteous and loving and, and holy and, and so on. And now turn over a page to Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why did God make man? For his own glory. For his own glory. <laughs> he says, I'm not going to share my glory with another, and I made you to glorify me. So what are we supposed to be doing? Glorifying God, glorifying God right. So our, our text tonight, or what I use as a text tonight, uh, Exodus 21 through 6 um, were the first two commandments. What do the first two commandments have to do with worship? What's the first commandment? That's, that's the greatest of the commandments. And, and in, the, in the Ten Commandments, how's it worded? Shall have no other God before. I have no other gods before me. The Hebrew there can be before or beside, right? So I'm it. God is saying, I am the only God you can have. What does that have to do with worship? Who to worship? God alone is the one to be worshipped. We're not to, um, what do they call it, a, a synergism, uh, working something else in there to be worshipped. Um... Man is, is not to be worshipped, but God is. <clears throat> and um, nothing else in all of creation is to be worshipped. God alone is to be worshipped. Um, and so the first commandment is telling us this. I'm it. You shall have no other gods before me, beside me. I'm it. Right? So that has to do with the who is to be worshipped. The second commandment is what? No graven images. No graven images. Don't make them. Don't bow down to them. And uh, so on. What does, what does this have to do with worship? No icon. No icon, certainly. Well, we don't know what God looks like. Yes, we, we don't. I've seen pictures. But. <laughs> 
drawing paintings and stuff. But, yeah. Someone's idea. Yeah, that? someone's That's idea. That's someone's idea, yeah. Right. I mean, and there are problems with doing that um, because when we see that, we begin to think God is like us. Yeah. We begin to put limitations on him like we have limitations, and he doesn't have any of that. And so God says, don't, don't do it. <coughs> but... The, so the first commandment is who is to be worshipped. The second commandment says what about worship? How? Has, it has a lot to do with the how of worship. So you have the first two commandments are about worship of God. Who is to be worshipped uh, exclusively and how is he to be worshipped? God is telling us there are certain things about how he is to be worshipped. And it is not by uh, a visual representation of him that we might have made up in our head or some other artist's conception of what they think God might look like. Rather, we're, God is the God of his word, right? God is the one who speaks the truth to us. And so uh, how are we to see him as the one who's spoken to us about himself in his word? Now, it's interesting in Exodus 32, 12 chapters, after uh, Exodus 20, where we see the Ten Commandments. What takes place in Exodus 32? No. Sins? <laughs> the worship of the golden calf. Yeah, the worship of the golden calf. Remember, uh, Moses gone up on the mountain. He's been there a little, he's, he's been, I guess, delayed a little bit up there. And these people come to Aaron. <laughs> Interesting, we mentioned this earlier before, before we started tonight. Uh, come to Aaron and say, we, about this Moses fellow, we don't know what's happened to him. We want to see our God. Right? We want to be like the other nations be able to see our God. So we want you to show us our God. It's forbidden. We can't worship this way. But Aaron says, okay, give me all your gold. <laughs> Puts them into a, a pot, boils them all down, I guess, and he... he takes uh, you know, the, the iron work or the metal working tools and he makes it into shape of the golden calf. And it's interesting, has anybody got uh, Exodus 32 verse 4? And I think it's verse 8 which say pretty close to the same thing. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay. What do you know about Hebrew? I'm, I'm sure probably everyone in here has been told this before. There's certain about, uh, certain thing about the, uh, when we uh, attribute to a de the deity, God, who is there. In, in Hebrew, what do we know about some of the different Hebrew words that we use for God? El, right? El is real basic. It means God. Any others? Elohim. Elohim. What is significant about Elohim? It's plural. It's plural. But it's still not saying there are many gods, right? Like a pair of pants. <laughs> like a pair of pants. Why, why, why would we talk about God in the plural? Well, that, that has been thought. Um, that, that would kind of put, I think that would kind of put uh, and say there are three gods. And we're not saying that. We're not saying plural gods. Why, why would they use it, plural, Elohim? He does have many names. He does have many names. 
In Hebrew, in English, what do you do when you want to make emphasis? Especially if you're writing. Repeat yourself. You can repeat yourself. And certainly if we do that, we're going to see that. I'm going to give you an illustration of that to, to illustrate this point. But in, in English, we'll underline. We'll put it in bold print. We'll put exclamation points after it. We uh, can highlight it. Do all kinds of things to, to emphasize it. In Hebrew, when they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat themselves especially. So when we see in Isaiah 6 and the angels uh, flying around uh, the throne of God and they're crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy. holy. You know that uh, of all the attributes of God, there's only one that's repeated to the third degree. It's holy. It's holy. So God is, is the absolute in holiness, and so it's repeated. Also, when they would want to show um, uh, eminence or whatever, it, it, could be, it could be plural. And that's what we see with God. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Not many gods, but one God. Now, all three persons of the Godhead were involved there, but I don't think that that's what it's saying. Elohim is used um, uh, in, in the plural, and it, it's used, still we'd say it is the, the God of Israel, our God, uh, the God who they would have known by his covenant name, Yahweh, and we see it as the Lord in, uh, in the Old Testament scripture. Um, now, in this passage, what you just read here, you read out of the ESV, and it says, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt, right? And you see it again in verse 8. Um, several other translations have it the same way. The New American, New American Standard, which is one of the most uh, um, literal translations, said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and other translations do the same thing. So there's and and plus the exact formation of that word uh, in Hebrew, several other places in the New Testament and several other places right there, the translators even in the, uh, the uh, ESV, King James, all those will translate it singular God. So I'm not sure why they they did it God's here. It, it is it is in the plural, but it could just as well be singular. Now, I'm making a point here because what they're saying, if the, if the New American Standard is correct, and I can certainly see why it would be, to say, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. What do they say? We want to see our God who brought us out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so when Aaron makes this calf, and he's saying, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt, what would he be saying? This is what Yahweh looks like. This is Yahweh brought you out of Egypt. And so they've made an image of what someone has made up in their mind. This is what God looks like. And, and they get pretty excited about it, don't they? The next day, did, did anyone feel a little cold or something and feel like I can't go to worship today? <laughs> this was the best worship service they had had since they'd been in the wilderness, I think, right? Everyone was there, everyone was excited, and they were making their uh, emotions known, right? So much so, and it was so loud, that up on the mountain, Joshua hears it and says, there's a battle in the camp. Remember, Moses said, that's not the sound of the battle. That's the sound of singing and making, making merry. 
and goes down and he's got the tablets <laughs> written with the hand of God. And he is not pleased because they have heard before it was written on the tablets. They heard from the mountain, you are not to do this. Mm-hmm. He goes up on the mountain to get, the, get it written down in stone and they're out doing it. It's not pleasing. Not pleasing, especially to, to uh, worship God and in, in saying you worship God in ways that he's directly forbidden you to do. Okay? And so certainly this was a situation where that is happening. But this is one of the things where he tells us in how to worship him. He says, don't do it, right? Those of us who have had children, <laughs> if you were to tell them all the things you didn't want them to do, how long would it take you? Years. <laughs> you'd still be, you'd be laying on your deathbed. And, and don't do this, right? How much space would it take God to write down all the things we're not to do in worship? I, I like to share this illustration when I'm talking about this. It's uh, when I was in uh, Jackson, Mississippi and going to uh, seminary and I was a, a youth director in the church that I went to there. We took the kids to the state fair one year and they had to have a buddy system and I think I made them do, th- uh, you had to go in groups of three and then we were to meet back at a certain place at a certain time to all go. Well, we get back and one of the groups is missing a girl. And said, oh, she found somebody else here that she knew and she thought she would go with them. Her mother met me in church the following Sunday. I don't know if it was the next day or if it was two days from then, but she met me and she apologized. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that my daughter would do that. I mean, she should have known better than to do that. And she said, you can't always think to tell them all the things they're not supposed to do. She had a, this girl had an older brother, and she said, when he was young, I never thought to tell him not to put peanut butter in his ears. <laughs> but he did. Okay, it's the same with worship. I mean, the, the sky is the limit if it's our imagination, right? And so there are places where things we're told not to do, but... I, I think God wants us instead of uh, looking in scripture to say that you can't do this in worship um, and saying it's okay because God didn't tell us not to. Um, instead, what he does is he tells us what to do. Uh, the illustration we gave this morning from Leviticus 10. Remember, anybody remember that? Sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. They said, we're going to spice this thing up. We're going to offer a different incense. And they do. And God is not pleased. And he consumes them uh, as a result. And so uh, what we have said is, is, is in reform circles, we believe that in worship, we do what God has told us to do. And we don't add things that he has told us not to do. We couldn't carry that book. <laughs> we couldn't carry a book big enough if, if all the things we weren't to do in worship were written out somewhere. And so instead, we, we, we follow this idea that we're to worship him with the instructions of how he's told us he wants to be worshipped. 
That's the best way anyway, right? If it's about him, which we said it was, he, isn't he the one that knows what he wants in worship? And so he has told us how to worship him, certain things about how to worship him. I want us to look up a few things here, that, uh, which, is, which again is called the regulative principle. That means when we worship him, we worship him doing the things he's told us to do in worship. And so let's look at a few of these things. Um, Matthew 21, 13. Someone else. Get Acts 2, 42. Who's got Acts? I got that. Okay. <clears throat> Matthew 21, 13. Who's got it? Okay. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. Something we should be doing in worship. He's quoting, Jesus quoting from the Old Testament. What, are, what is to be included in worship? Prayer. Prayer. So it's to be a house of prayer. It's one of the interesting things about our services. We have, uh, we have uh, a prayer of adoration, a prayer of confession, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of uh, supplication, and we have a closing prayer. Quite often, when people who are not used to that sort of thing come to our church, they go, y'all pray a lot. We don't pray enough. You probably don't pray enough. Uh, But uh, I I think that's a good thing, and they don't always mean it that way, I don't think, but it it is a good thing. (laughs) Acts 2.42, so prayers to be involved. Acts 2.42, what else do we see? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay. So um, we've already seen prayers. Um, what else do we see going on in worship in the early church? This isn't an uh, uh, imperative telling us that this is what we should do. This is saying what they did, but it is an example for us as to what we should be doing. And so what are some of the elements we see there? Teaching. Lord, teaching. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. And we see prayer, right? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Who knows it by heart? No. It's a great commission, by the way. Yeah, I still don't know it by heart. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Someone. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In baptizing, we see it happening in worship services in the New Testament, don't we? Where that is something to be included in our worship services. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.23 next few verses. I think you read this this morning. I think I did. (laughs) For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so Jesus himself gives instruction about something that should be done in worship, right? What is that? The Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper, sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And um, now he, he doesn't tell us exactly how often to do it, does he? No, I, he says as often as you do it. Um, I believe it, it seems pretty clear in Acts that the early church did it uh, pretty much every week, but uh, I, I, I don't think that's set in stone anywhere, and so I do think it needs to be often. And uh, so we do it once a month. And I, I, that, was, that was how they did it in Geneva, too, once a month. So Calvin wanted to do it every week, but they did it, they did it once a month. Ephesians 5. 19 through 20. Okay. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making <coughs> melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. What else is being included in worship? Singing. Singing. Definitely so. Well, these are these are some of the elements uh, that God tells us specifically need to be there. There needs to be um, there, there needs to be uh, preaching and teaching. There needs to be um, the uh, reading of God's word. There needs to be administration of the sacraments. There needs to be music. These are all elements that are to be included uh, within our worship. God tells us to do these things. Now, even within that, these things that he's telling us needs to do, you've probably been to churches that do them in different orders than we do, haven't you? <laughs> uh, is, is, the, is, is our order something that's written in Scripture that this is the way we ought to do it? I, I don't think so, not necessarily. Um, so, so, so there is uh, certainly flexibility within the regulative principle about, um, you know, worshiping. We, we know that we need to do it on the first day of the week, too, I think. The New Testament's pretty clear about that. Um, but should we do it at, at uh, should, we, should we meet earlier and do it at 10 o'clock? And if we went from 10 till 11.15, uh, would that be wrong? If, if we were to change the order somewhat um, and made uh, the sermon earlier in the, in, the, in the service, would that be wrong? I think so. <clears throat> Do we have the right to say, let's spice it up a little bit, and this week we're going re to have puppets doing the sermon? <laughs> I don't think so. Do what? <laughs> okay, so um, I, I think that the, the scripture does instruct us pretty clearly on, on elements of our worship. We, we've gone through uh, several of them. We're not at liberty to uh, add to that, and we're really not at liberty to take it away either. Um, and I want to read to you again. 
uh, what Ligon Duncan says about worshiping this way with uh, uh, including in worship what God has told us to and not um, not uh, leaving things out and not adding things called the regulative principle. He said the key benefit of the regulative principle is that it helps to assure that God and not man is the supreme authority for how corporate worship is to be conducted. Do you think that that would be important in worshiping God, that he would be the one in charge of that? Yeah, he did. He, said, he goes on, he says, by assuring that the Bible, God's own special revelation and not our own opinions, tastes, likes, and theories is the prime factor in our conduct and approach to corporate worship. And so uh, that's, that's what we, we try to do here. We say that we're, uh, <clears throat> Scripture is our only infallible rule of faith and practice, and we try to follow it. We try to follow it uh, in, in our lives, in all things, and especially uh, in our corporate worship as well. It's important to God. It's important, he, so he tells us how we're supposed to worship him. And we are really not at liberty to, to say, I don't like it that way, or I like it better this way. Um, we are to follow God's instructions in these things. All right, let me pray.